allow for the unintended consequence because it's often stronger than your first program idea. Hi, this is Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. And I am at Community Justice 2016 in Chicago, Illinois. It's an international summit that's brought together over 400 people interested in court reform. With me right now is Carrie Walker, who is the director of the Neighborhood Justice Center in the city of Yarra, which is part of the city of Melbourne, Australia. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Robert. So I thought it would be interesting to talk to you today about the Neighborhood Justice Center because you are shortly going to celebrate your 10th anniversary. So yeah. con- congratulations. Thank you. And I thought we could talk about the Justice Center generally and also focus in on community engagement, which is something that is an important part of community courts and community justice centers and something that I know you guys are particularly good at doing. So why don't we start with that? Let's talk about community engagement. Maybe you can just define the term for me because I think for people unfamiliar with community courts, they might say, Why is a court of any kind engaging with the community? A court is supposed to remain apart from the community, above the community. So maybe you could explain to me what community engagement means. So community engagement for us is premised on the principle that ordinary citizens have a right to understand the law. They have a right to feel justice in their communities and they have the right to be part of that relationship between the law and themselves and their neighbours. So I think it's a new way of looking at the rule of law and to say that justice must play an active role in a community. If we are serious that what we want to do by our courts and by the rule of law is to have a civil, caring society where there is strong stewardship and tolerance and fairness, then we must play a part in that. So let's talk a little bit about that. You have neighborhood in your name and community justice, which is a whole, the approach you're speaking of has the word community in it. So that means that there's a very local element. You're you're working in a particular neighborhood. So how exactly do you let the community initiate things? How do you communicate or open that communication? I can give you some examples of the type of activity we do. So, for instance, if there is to be a local festival, we will ring and say, we would love to be a part of that and we would love to come to the festival. But in order to come to the festival, we want to help either take the minutes or do the photocopying or help put up the tents or we want to do something, we want to be really active. We don't want to just turn up on the day with our trestle table and our books and say, hi, aren't we lovely and wonderful and come and talk to us and we'll tell you what we do. And so we, I think, show uh, by example about putting our shoulder to the wheel and show that we are really serious in participating and therefore getting to know people so how, where's the intersection of justice if, you, if you're involved in a community activity? How does that intersect with 
what you're actually doing in the court. We have quite a different legal system to the American system and it is in some ways more monolithic and more difficult to have that participatory interaction at the, at the court phase. However, what we have done is the community work part of what we do is very carefully chosen. When you mean community work, you mean like a restitution project? Yes. Which a yes. defendant might be sentenced to as part of their sentence? Yes. I see. And does the community help you identify areas where crime and safety issues, where, where the court can focus on certain safety issues, whether it's street corners or types of offending that the community is concerned about? Yes, we, have, we are part of a number of local safety committees we have, that we have been invited to be members of that. And again, we wait to be invited. We don't say, we're the Justice Centre, we should be a part of this. What we say is, if, if there is ever an opportunity where you think we could be helpful, we would love to take that up and invariably we do get invited. Uh, we also are invited to a number of uh, resident-led types of meetings and committees. And we're, so we always have the voice of the community. But the other part is that there are lots of groups in the community who use our building to meet. And so we'll ask at times that they would like one of us to come and talk to them about a particular issue or might just grab us as we're there. but uh, So it's both informal and formal, but we try to embed ourselves in what is resident-led. Uh, and we're always also trying to uh, leverage off the talents and the strengths of the community. So we've just been involved in this big project of street art, and it's really an anti-graffiti project. So they wanted some money from us, and I said, yeah, I'm happy to do that because I think it's really worthwhile and I can see it's a crime prevention activity. I said, but you are really popular with young people and so what I want is for you to mentor and teach some young people how to do some stencil art but on our back wall so that they will come into the centre and that they will have a confidence about what it means. I see. And the young people aren't necessarily involved in the justice system no. but they're just... Yeah. young people from the community. Yeah. So, and I suppose the impact that you've had on community perceptions or attitudes towards the justice system, is that something I, that's, that would be hard to measure? Do you have, apart from anecdotally, a sense of how you perhaps over the last 10 years have, through your engagement, affected community attitudes towards the justice system? Well, what we know is that the police tell us that their relationship with the community has improved, they say, a thousandfold because of their relationship with us. People trust them much more because of us. We know that the Aboriginal community feels much safer with justice than they have felt before we came because they tell us that and we know that when we first came, very rarely would an Aboriginal person turn up for their court case. And so we have done a lot of work over the years about encouraging that confidence and now we have a turn-up rate of you know, between 85 and 95%. But we have done things like uh, have a, a specific day for Aboriginal people where we put on a kangaroo barbecue and we invite their families and their support as well as local agencies and so it becomes much more 
than just, oh, yes, you're here to be processed. It is actually a way of saying, no, no, this building, this place is a part of the community and you are always welcome here. So tell me, you know, with, with in January you're going to turn 10, the, yeah. the Neighbourhood Justice Centre is going to turn 10. Do you have any lessons you can share for people who are interested in community justice, in community courts, and just interested in building better relationships between the justice system and their communities? I think uh, some of the lessons we've learned, one of the big lessons we've learned was that we got it right when we said we will never act alone, we will only ever act in partnership. And that, I think, has worked in that it stopped us getting too cocky and uh, it means if I think I've got a good idea, then I actually have to go outside and find someone else who thinks it's a good idea or it's not going to happen. So I have hung on to what I think a good idea, sometimes for years, until I can find someone who will say, Yes. Someone in the community per se, or it could be another in the community, agency or... or it could be another agency. But for instance, I have been attending a community meeting now for ten years, and at that meeting, I maybe every third or fourth meeting, I talk about the Baltimore Community Conferencing Centre and say, "Wouldn't it be great if we did something like that?" And everyone just says, "Yeah, we're moving along now. It's the next agenda item." Yeah. And that's where you bring together various uh, members yeah, of, a, of, the, of a community where there's perhaps been some kind of dispute or a difference yeah. to, to problem solve that's together right. collectively. And so two years ago, again, I raised it. So this is me having done this for nearly eight years. And someone said, I saw it on the television. I saw it about those kids, yeah. And a local chef came down and he baked a big cake for them and it was just great. And now they've got a football team. We should do that. And I thought, I don't believe this. For eight years I've tried to explain this, but it meant all I had to do was just wait for it to come onto the television. It's not real until it's on TV. That's right. And so now what we're doing is opening up a portal that will be based on the practice of the Baltimore Community Conferencing Centre, which I'm going to visit during this trip. Fantastic. Wow. Any other lessons? The other is, I think, about allow for the unintended consequence because it's often stronger than your first program idea. That what we have found is that often when we've had an idea and we've gone through with that, the outcomes in fact are things we never expected them to be. And they are very powerful because you know, they, they arise out of the relationships that are made rather than anything that we have actually tried to drive. And I think the third is about, you know, messy is okay. You know, you can't know every step that you're going to take, and that's what innovation is about. If you always know what the end game is, well, it's not, it's not true innovation. You have been doing Got new it. things all the time. You're always, I'm always hearing about new ideas that you guys are up to with technology. You're doing yeah. some things. So one of the things we're doing, and it's in the area of family violence, is we're trying to give more confidence to the citizen. Family violence is gendered in... In the main, it's women who apply for domestic violence orders. And so what tends to happen is that women in crisis are treated much more as children. You know, no, let me help you do that. And here's, no, you'll need to sit down with me to fill out the form. And they lose their agency, essentially. And we thought, eh. 
what would happen if we changed the you know, 18 page form, took out all the legal things, put emotional intelligence into the form and put the risk factors in and did it in a way that the woman really felt they were able to tell their story, didn't have to come to court to do that and sit with a stranger and perhaps cry through it and be upset, but be able to sit with friends or sit in the library or do it at work, wherever they felt safest. By not having to come to court means you don't have to lie about where you're going, you don't have to take a day off work, you don't have to organise childcare. So this you can, you can fill it in over a month's period. So you can come in and out of it and it's got all sorts of safety features. So doing it online that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, the revolution about this is not so much the form, which people are really focused on, but it is about what this will do is it will help change culture in the mainstream courts. Because what this does is say, when that automated application comes through, the court then has to contact the applicant. So they will know very quickly whether or not they've responded well because the applicant has the right to then say, uh-uh, I'm not coming in your court. I want to go to someone else's court who's going to treat me well. So it really is putting an accountability onto courts that they've not seen before. And the other digital project we're working on is that when you go to court, you're told get there at 9 o'clock in the morning, and it could be at 10 to 4 in the afternoon that you find out your case is adjourned. So it's like going to the airport and there's no arrival and departure sign. Interesting metaphor, yeah, wow. So what we've done is we're, we've developed, and it's a co-design with a local company, where everyone who has an involvement with a case will know what is going on, including the person who is going before the court. So we will, they will be able to download an app on their phone that will show them, oh yeah, my lawyer is now seeing the prosecutor, oh, I was supposed to go and do something. Oh, I better go and organise that. Oh, everyone's waiting on a report to come from a psychiatrist. Oh, okay, I get that. And they'll be able to see in real time on a commercial grade board outside the court where their case is in the order for the day so that they can make decisions about, hmm, I might stay here, I might go away, I might ask the court to send me a text, you know, half an hour before my case is going to come up. Wow. So there'll be a much more power for everyone in knowing what's going on. And we think that this will, again, give a real confidence. What we're doing is we're building in the analytics so that over time we're hoping that we can help courts discover the granularity of time and be able to better organise themselves because it's the last bastion of utter disorganisation. Well... Clearly stuff that, this is stuff that you weren't thinking about 10 years ago when you yeah. got started. So that's just a sign of how you are continuing to evolve and, and stay innovative and on the cutting edge. Thank you very much, Carrie Walker, for taking the time here Thank at Community you, Justice 2016 to talk with me. Carrie Walker is the director of the Neighborhood Justice Center in the city of Yarra, which is in the city of Melbourne in Australia. And I am Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. And thank you very much for listening.